Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 130. This week, my guest is Mike Pearson, and you might know Mike Pearson from Ag News Daily, and uh, him and Delaney Howe started up the uh, uh, Global Ag Network that I'm part of, and and so it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you back on, Mike. Hey, always love talking to you, Casey. How are things going over in Nebraska? You know, things aren't bad. We had a had a near miss on a uh, on a big blizzard here. We only got about probably a quarter of what we were supposed to, which is totally fine. Um, we weren't, others weren't as fortunate as we were, but, um, for the most part, it was, uh, it was a good deal. So I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that we can kind of get this moisture out and get some fields planted, get some field work done, get that stuff rolling. So there's a, a lot of that right now, a lot of lag out there, <clears throat> whether you're anywhere pretty much in, in the corn belt, there's not a too many dry spots out there right now. There's not. You know, the only, the only manners I've really seen running are those southern Illinois guys into Kentucky. Yeah. You know, the, you know, quote unquote fringe acres. You know, yeah. they've been good enough to go, but man, for the rest of us, it's a sit and wait kind of game. Yeah. It's been, it's been pretty tough. So, people you talk with, things that you've been out doing, uh, areas you guys have been covering, what do you see out there right now? And, and how is this um, a lack of field work and, and B, uh, lack of, uh, you know, getting in the field and planting, you know, we, everyone's, no one's really should, should be done by now by any means, but everybody should be planting. Right. And, you know, so that's where we're at. So what are you seeing right now? What are you hearing? I'm, I'm seeing the exact same thing you're seeing, Casey. It's, it's everybody's in a hurry up and wait kind of mood. Uh, like you say, we still got a lot of guys with a lot of field work to do yet. Yeah. Pretty well all across Iowa, the folks I've talked to in Illinois, it's the same story, North central Indiana in particular. It's all of these places, Got wet last year at the end of harvest, didn't get field work done, didn't get gas pulled on if they're a fall applied nitrogen type of person, and now we're playing catch-up. And at this stage in the game, I don't think anybody's too nervous. You know, when it comes time to actually get the crop in the ground, we know, we've seen it over the past couple of years, we can put the hammer down. Oh, we absolutely. can make things happen here <clears throat> yeah. real quick. And uh, it's just... At the same time, even though we know we can get it done, we know that we can rush this thing up and, and have it done in no time. Waiting sucks, yeah. you know, and people are just getting frustrated. We had a couple nice days there, what, a week or so ago, and now it's just cold and it's gray here, so it's not even fun to, you know, be out in the shop working. Yeah. Ready to get spring started for real yeah. is what I'm hearing from a lot of people. Yeah, and that's ready that's... to hit the ground running and. Right now, we're just running in place. Yeah, and that's exactly what what I'm hearing too. Especially guys that around here, you know, we talk to our guys out running the countryside, talking to customers, talking to farmers, what have you out there. And it's a uh, that's where they're all at right now. Their heads all about you know they've got their planter ready, they got their tractor ready, they got you know the side saddle tanks on there, and they're ready to to get out and get the fertilizer in, get some strip tilling done, those kind of things. And um, it's just too wet you know right now so um stuff gets dried out you know it'll be 
100 mile an hour in every direction and everybody's hair will be on fire and that's just but that's a typical year too i guess if it was ever easy then i wouldn't know what to do with that's, ourselves that's the thing it's we have this conversation it seems like every year right. and it does seem like every year maybe this conversation we have a little earlier in the year i mean guys are ready to rock and roll sooner than perhaps they used to be in the past but we'll get there we know we'll get this thing in the ground mm -hmm. um you know whether or not USDA's prediction of what 92 and change million acres comes true. I, I I think given the wetness we've seen, if guys have acres that are switchable, I think we might see some acres move from corn into beans just so guys can have a little more a little more time. But uh, outside of the the flooded areas, the rest of us will all get cracking here before too long. Yep. Yeah, it's uh it, it's going to be a it's always it's always amazes me when guys get in the field that you know, we go from uh, 10 or 15 acres planted, and then by the end of the weekend, we've planted, you know, 45% in just a, yep. two or three days. So it, it is very uh, remarkable about, you know, technology and what it allows you to do now and how fast you can plant with planters now and all those different things. So there's a lot of, a, a lot of stuff that makes everything just kind of come together at the end. Yeah, yeah. Does you know? Last year, one of my favorite memories. I was driving from Marshalltown to Des Moines, and so for your, for your viewers who know that area, there's Highway 330, which runs at a diagonal between the two towns. I was going along, and on one side of the road was a guy pulling a DB90. That's a 36 row, right, Casey? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that I think it was 30. It was a huge, huge plan or mm -hmm. whatever it was. He was running on this side of the road. And on the right side of the road was a guy with a, an open station, IH something, pulling a four-row planter. And <laughs> right. it was just like, you yeah. know, that was that same week that we went from you know, the huge jump no. in acres planted. You know what? The guy with the four-row, his acres counted too. And I bet he got done what he needed to get done. Yep. Just took yep. him a little longer. Yep. That's the thing about planter technology too. As speed has increased, the idea behind that was that planters were going to get <clears> – <throat> planters were going to get smaller and they haven't they've stayed the same size they just go faster now and and that's uh yep. they're able to to cover way more ground i mean there's some guys out there with 24 row planters that can plant 72 acres an hour you know i mean that's that's uh that's an, an astronomical amount of ground that they can they can do do a circle in you know, hour and a half roughly about that much so it's it's a it's amazing mm -hmm. what they can do with, with planters now so yeah, it is it's unreal and you know you see this tractor technology a lot more up close than I do, but I mean, I got a feeling it's just going to continue to accelerate. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's going to keep getting faster and it's going to keep getting, um, I don't know if it's going to get bigger, keep getting bigger, but it's definitely going to keep getting faster or more efficient or something like that. So it'll, it'll be, yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Man, definitely be there. it's, there's always something to watch for in this industry. Even mm -hmm. when we've got less money right. than, than we had in the past, guys are still willing to make investments in efficiencies because we can, or, or most people mm -hmm. can show that it pencils. And oh, if yeah. you can make it pencil, by golly, make that investment. Yeah, if you can add three bushels or or uh, to an acre or something like that, or you can knock off, uh, you know, ten percent of your fuel costs or something, whatever it might be. There's a, uh, yep, do stuff with less less hours. You know, those kind of things all matter. So, yeah, it's a it's a big deal if oh, you sure. if you can do that. So, the other flip side of that with the yeah. weather that we've had and, and the harsh winter we've had, especially. Um, you know, in the central part of the U.S., um, cattle have just gotten their, their rate of gain and carcass weights and all that kind of stuff are just way down. So there, but there's some opportunity in, in beef right now with the <clears throat> African swine fever that's 
kind of ravished uh, China. There's going to have to be another uh, form of protein that they're going to eat on uh, over there because I think last time I checked, there was uh, upwards of 40% of the hog herd was uh, was going to be uh, basically gone from, from China. And if they went and bought every single pig on the export marketplace, it only fill about maybe half to 25% of that, of that hole. So there's going to be yeah. some opportunities there. So you're, you're, you're kind of a cattle guy yourself. So talk about cattle a little bit. We see happening yeah. in that marketplace. Well, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think we've got a lot of opportunities ahead of us, both on the export side, mm-hmm. when you're, when you take a look at China, um, because you're right, they've got the taste for protein and none of us, except for a few very weird vegans like to give up protein <laughs> right, yeah. once we've had the chance to start eating it. Right. We start it and, and we keep doing it. So if they can't get pork, what are they going to turn to? And you're right. They're going to buy as much foreign pork as they can. That is the value protein. When you're looking at, at animal protein, we're going to continue to see poultry exports to China grow. That's mm-hmm. one we haven't talked about a lot, but it's going to happen. They're, they're buying again from Brazil on the poultry side. They're going to come to the U.S. They're going to be buying from us as well. And then finally, it's probably going to be marginal because the U.S. beef that's allowed into China, there's still a heck of a lot of hurdles you got to jump to get your meat into that market. But if China is going to lessen those stringent requirements that they've got on U.S. beef, a catastrophe like African swine fever is the kind of thing that might make them reduce yeah. those uh, requirements. Absolutely. So I think we've yeah. got some opportunities ahead there. The other side, man, watch the U.S. economy. Domestic mm-hmm. demand has been incredible, and it's going to continue to be incredible because we have a strong economy. People, you know, you listen to the Fed, you listen to economists talk, and, oh, we're slowing down, and, oh, there's concern on Main Street. And, okay, maybe maybe a little bit. We're seeing some factory orders slow down. We're seeing some things that the economy might be, on the whole, starting to, to reset a little bit after this incredible rally. But when you look at what people are taking home, paychecks are still continuing to grow. Yeah. The stock market is still doing fine. It's not record high, but it's still comfortable. And all of those things, home values continue to climb across the country. All of those things, people are going to be going out to eat. And when they go out to eat, that's where they like to buy beef. So I am really optimistic as we go down, especially for the type of meat that we're producing in this country, which is historically high levels Mm -hmm. of prime and choice. We're going to find buyers for that in restaurants, in high-end grocery stores. All of those places are going to keep buying beef. And and I think that's a reason to be optimistic. Plus... When you look at the live cattle side, sorry, my earbud's popping out. Sorry. You know, I, I hate to think about this, but we have had a really, really tough spring for a lot of ranchers, for a lot yeah. of cow-calf guys in the upper Midwest. You know, I've just been watching stories after these blizzards, after the floods, the amount of the, the calf losses are going to be huge. So, you know, you hate to find a bright spot when it's built on the back of, of somebody else's pain. But when we think of feeder cattle here in come fall, come next spring, I think we're going to be sitting reasonably pretty. We should see room for the values to rise on these feeder cattle a little bit. I mean, certainly push up into the, the 140s, maybe get up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we could touch 160 again on some of those when they get to be front month contracts a little yeah. bit later on this year just because of the losses we've seen. And as you mentioned, I mean, 
just getting these things to wait is going to be a huge pain with pasture conditions the way they are. Everybody's getting off on the wrong foot to get the growing season started. Oh, my heart goes out to all those ranchers who are out there in that terrible blizzard pulling calves and trying to tuck them in barns and oh, getting everything caught up. Yeah, we missed it completely in, in east central Iowa and had a little bit of rain and that was it. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah, years uh, up around Rapid City, you know, those guys got, uh, I mean, there's some 24-inch snows up there. I mean, I woke up thinking we were going to get pretty hammered, and they already had 10 inches of snow um, before our day even started. So they got they got pretty hammered. Central, Jeez. I think north central Nebraska got got it pretty well, and, and, and then over, way over into Minnesota and up into that way. So it, it was uh, – it was a, a pretty big thing. You know, I, I put a tweet out yeah. that said, you know, I probably should buy a lottery ticket because my chances of winning the lottery are probably as good as being through two bomb cyclone hurricane or, uh, uh, blizzards in, yeah. in one month. You know, so it was uh, it was kind of a – it's been a weird winter. You know, we've had a lot of crazy things happen. You know, you look at the – the polar vortex thing that came through and, and how cold that was and brutal that was, which I'm sure you probably felt a lot of that where you were at. Um, and then you got oh, these yeah. two blizzards. Yeah, and, I mean, so it was, it's just been a, it's been a wicked bad, um, winter for, for the most part of the, of the U S and, um, we've actually had a pretty decent winter compared to, to what a lot of other folks have had. So, um, you know, yeah. all this stuff is starting to add up and there's going to be some, when it breaks loose, I think this is the year that we look back on in 2019 that it was the the turning point and what down the downturn that we're in right now and heading into 2020 I think we're going to be in in some pretty good shape with commodity prices and and just all the stuff that makes everything work. I hope you're right, Casey. I really like your optimism. Um, I'm not quite sure that we're we're in. I'm not in that same boat as you quite yet. And the reason I say that is. Uh, farmers are a resilient bunch. We are tough and we are committed. And when farmers start doing something, they do it to the bitter end. And I I don't know, without another ethanol on the horizon, and and maybe China letting in U.S. beef could be it on the beef side, but without another huge jump in demand coming, we have to see this turnaround come from a slowdown in the growth of supply. And I don't think we're going to see that until more guys decide to get out of the industry. And I hate to say that, but that's what's got me. What's got me worried is we still have a lot of people working hard, trying to grow as much food as possible, mm-hmm. and succeeding. And because we're succeeding, that's why we're having trouble. You know, yeah. I mean, our success is the cause of our pain, which it's one of the screwy things about agriculture that. One of the few industries that happens in, you know, as cars get better, the success of a, of a car just makes them more likely to buy a car in the future. The greater success we all have in agriculture, well, the lower prices get. Um, the concern I have, you talk about after swine fever, maybe being good news for the U.S., and I think it will be. Pork, especially South China. Export report yesterday, 77,000 metric tons of pork went to China or was ordered by China for this upcoming year. That's a number they have never ordered before in the past. Last year, this week, last year, they ordered something like 15,000 metric tons. This year, 77,000. Huge numbers. I think we're going to see those numbers, just like you say, until they can get their hands on every hog that's out there uh, for export, they're going to try and buy. Uh, Great news for the American hog producer. Great news if you've got 
uh, hog producers nearby, and you're selling into a stronger basis move, which I think we're going to find as those guys look to gobble up every bit of feed they can. Yeah. The downside to all of this is, I know we're all sick to death of talking about China and soybeans, but most of the soybeans China bought from us historically have been feeding hogs. And if they're losing 40% of their hog herd, well, that just knocks 40% of their bean demand right off the top. Now we're to the point where let's that 40%. Well, Brazil does a pretty good job of meeting the Chinese supply. If, if they decide to play hardball and if they don't mind paying higher prices, um, that's something we could see as a real headwind for the soybean grower going forward. In addition to corn, uh, we yeah. never know what China's story is with corn for real. You know, they, they just make up numbers, write them down and print them out. I, well, who has any idea what they got? But we need to see them in the corn market as well. We need to see them in the global corn market just to keep that demand strong. And, you know, a lot of that corn as well get mixed into hog rations. And uh, I don't know. This, this African swine fever thing is a big deal. It's, yeah. it's a very big deal. I don't think we've, we've really started to grasp magnitude of it. You know, watching the hog futures, we're trading up here at 98 and change in the June. Um, you know, May is at 89 last I looked. I think 89.10 or something was the close. Um, think back to when we had PEDV back in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. We saw futures run up to 120, mm -hmm. 125. Um, is there more upside here in, in the hog market? I, if it's as bad as the Chinese are saying, and they're, they're publicly saying 30 to 40% of their herd, and if the government's coming out and saying 30 to 40%, what's the real number? Right. Because twice that. I mean, they're pretty good at uh, BSing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, 40 to 50%, is that where they're at? That's going to leave a mark. We're going to notice that in the hog markets. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's as bad as they say that we don't take out uh, those PEDV highs in the market. But I think we'll learn more as summer, as summer drags in here as we get, uh, we get our head around what gets maybe independent eyes on the ground in China who can report, verify back what they're seeing. I'd be a lot more willing to trust some of those independent market analysts who go over there and take a look around than I am to the Chinese government. And we'll get those those reports out here as the year goes on, and we'll just take a look. But, yeah, if I were a speculator, just with money that I could afford to lose, boy, I wouldn't mind getting long June even here at 98. I think there's going to be value in that, and especially the fall months, assuming this thing's as bad as they say. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a bigger deal than what than what they're letting on. I mean, it's increasingly gotten worse, and I think it's yeah. down to the point where they can't keep the story contained um, because they're going to start, you know, looking for exports all over the world. And when right. they when they come to the U.S. and buy fifteen times the amount that they bought this time last year. Sends a pretty good signal that, of course, they're spinning that as you know we're trying to be good trade partners here and we're trying to cut you a deal and right. we're trying to scratch your back, you scratch ours type of thing. Wouldn't that's not what's happening? I mean, and, uh, no, no, not on, you're exactly right though. That's that's exactly yeah. how they're spinning it. Is yeah, yeah, we wanted this trade talk to go well, so we'll we'll get in here. We'll buy we'll buy some pork from you. Um, yeah, but so the other st fact uh, stat I thought was fascinating. So last year at this time. China had orders ahead for 4,900 metric tons, 4,900 metric tons for the remainder of the year, orders ahead at this time last year. So far this year, they've got orders ahead of 95,000 metric yeah. tons. So that's, that's 20 times right. what they were buying last year. Yeah. And yeah, 
we're, I think we're going to continue to see that going forward. I will be very excited, very, very excited when we start to see the 10, 20, 15 times last year's numbers as applied to beef. That will be a huge story. I hope we get there this year. I think you've got the nail on the head there. This is the year to do it if they're gonna. And they can also spin it for trade. If they really don't need beans, which they really may not, come in and buy our livestock. Let's sell sell them ethanol. Let's add that value here in this country. The ethanol market needs the assistance. Let's sell them livestock and let's, uh, Let's make a trade deal. Let's yeah. work something out with them. So two or three or four years from now, when their hog herd's back to 700 million head, we can right back in selling them beans and uh, keeping that market afloat. Yeah. But President Trump hasn't called me yet, so <laughs> I'm still waiting. Yeah, I haven't got that call either, so sooner or later. Sooner or later they'll One come of these to this, Well, they'll come to yeah. the census sooner or later and get, and get someone in there that can figure something out, I guess. I don't yeah. know for sure. Um, yeah. So, I think I think Secretary Purdue's got the right idea. Absolutely. I think he's got his head on straight. Yeah. I think he's just dealing with a, with President Trump, who just does not like China. You know, I mean, yeah. he said from the in the 1980s, uh, he was convinced that that China was screwing us all. And you know, I don't think any amount of anything's going to change that perception that he has. So, I think we just got to tough it out, find wins where we can here for the next couple of years. And China's not going away. At the end of the day, they're going to want their people to live. They'll. Uh, They'll buy what they need to from us, and hopefully we'll keep them on board and you know grow that market again in the future. Well, I think we'll have something done in the books here by by June, pretty sure, just because of the political ramifications that are going to come with it if, if it rolls into August and September, you know, headed That's into 2020. True. So there's, there's, there's something going to happen here regardless whether we win, quotation air marks right. here, uh, whether we win or not, something will happen, so... <clears throat> Which, yeah, because I can tell you, you I'm, I'm not tired of winning yet. I, yeah. I could, I'd like to see agriculture get a couple more wins on the books here uh, from this administration. Yep, yep. So, so I want to bounce back to the to the ethanol corn comment that you made there and talk about that a little bit. So, when you look at what what Saudi Arabia said, well, OPEC, all of OPEC has said um, how they're going to keep the price of oil at seventy dollars a barrel um, for the best for as long as they possibly can, which means you know the U.S. is going to start with its uh, uh, tar sand or the oil sands and the tar sands out of Canada are going to start flowing again, and they're really going to start making, turning that, that back up. Um, as the price of oil goes up and gasoline starts getting a little more expensive, right now I'm paying about two fifty at the pump. Um, the idea of getting ethanol at a buck eighty five or a buck seventy five sounds pretty pretty good on the E eighty five side. So there could be some drive there, but. My concern, Absolutely. my biggest concern with ethanol is, um, as the idea of the electric car becomes more and more and more and more part of, of the human uh, nomenclature, and they start running semi trucks up and down the road that are electric and what have you, that is going to have a big effect on the ethanol. So, have you given that any thought? Have you thought about that at all, and how that what that <sighs> direction looks like? You know what? I've I've given it some thought, but I haven't liked the thought. I have when, liked I, them when I look into yeah. it. I I just. You know, we've spent, what, 15 years in the ethanol industry pushing for E15, mm-hmm. and now we finally got it. We got year-round E15 coming this year. Supposedly, EPA is going to officially sign off on it. And in 2019, here we're looking at kind of the mainstreaming of electric vehicles. I mean, you right. hit the nail on the head. Tesla sales are insane. The Chevy Bolt or whatever they've got now is rolling out. I mean, and they're they're now able to cover reasonable distances. Yep. I mean, now you can get... 400 some miles on a charge back when you could get 25 miles. I thought these things are a joke. They're never going to go anywhere. 
But here's my thought with electric vehicles longer term. There's going to be a market for them. We're going to lose uh, uh, liquid fuel demand going forward. I think that's a given. I don't think it's ever going to totally disappear. We're always going to have, you know, you or I, people who live out in the middle of nowhere who drive long distances. I can't imagine a scenario where I'm going to want an electric car that takes five hours to refuel. Right. Uh, I just, if I'm traveling to Sioux City or if I'm traveling to, you know, Scotts Bluff or mm. wherever, I got to know that I can stop anywhere, fuel up, and get on my way. So I'm probably always going to be a, a conventional fuel driver, probably always going to use ethanol. But for folks who live in cities, we're going to surrender that entire market, I think. You know, oh, why yeah. would you own a vehicle that you've got to take to a gas station to fuel up, pay prices, you know, wait in lines sometimes, you know, all those things, where I can just keep an extension cord at my apartment and charge my vehicle overnight. That's where we're going to see it disappear. And it's got me nervous. Yeah. Uh, I'm a lot more concerned about EVs than I am anything else affecting the ethanol industry right now. Yeah. It's going to be a slow transition because they're still stupid expensive. Right. And the other wild card in the rollout of electric vehicles and the sustainability of them is all that stuff for the batteries comes out of China. Right. You know, we yeah. can't we can't make the batteries here. It's too uh, uh, toxic, I think. Mm-hmm. And so that's always going to have to come out of China. Well, if things don't go well with China, you know, batteries might be a non-issue. I mean, the electric vehicle yeah. might come to an end if uh, if we can't have a good working relationship with China. <sighs> I don't know. Ethanol. We've got to figure out another use for ethanol. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it was. What it's going to be. I, I mean, we've already got whiskey. We've got, you know, we can all step up our demand there. I think we can all do our part. Um, increase, but yeah, the, other than increase, hmm? increase Tito's stock and get, yeah, and get yeah. some more, get the, get the vodka going. Right. Yeah. Corn vodka. Heck mm-hmm. yes. I mean, let's, uh, let's start thinking of uh, other ways we can add value. Cause that's the great thing about ethanol to my mind. Oh, and I also think circle back on demand. EVs are going to take off here in this country. They're going to take off in Western Europe, India, China, they're, you're going to see them over there, but they're going to grow a lot more slowly because of the cost. Mm-hmm. So if we can get into China and India as an ethanol exporter, that could carry our industry while electric vehicles take off here. Because yep. uh, yep. their demand is going to be astronomical, and boy, that would be the quickest possible way for them to improve their air quality is to go to a, a true E10 or an E15 or e, even an E30 mm-hmm. You know, would be a fantastic way for them to clean up their air and solve the trade issues with us and right. help our corn growers and ethanol producers feel a lot richer. Yep. But again, they're not calling me for advice on these trade talks, but that's my thought. I think that would be a win, win, win all the way around. Yeah. I, I look at the ethanol marketplace a lot. Like I do the dairy market where there's so many not like, you know, dairy replacements, whether it's soy milk or whatever it might be, that yep. kind of falls into that, that has just taken away from the, the overall milk demand. The same number of gallons of, of milk and milk-like products are, are still being consumed by the U.S. Uh, marketplace as well as around the world. It's just, it's not all milk. And right. I, I think that's how the ethanol thing is going to play out, is that there's going to be other things that slowly chip away at it to where um, it's going to go through a rough patch and then it's going to get to a certain volume and, and things are going to level out. Or, like you said, a developing country like, like uh, China or India or some African countries or something like that are going to step up and say, hey, you know what, hey, we'd, we'd love to have some 
some of your your corn ethanol and and uh we will uh we'll, we'll pay you for that and you guys keep growing it and we'll, we'll just buy refined uh ethanol from you so i think the ethanol deal is probably a uh it's a uh it's just it's just like anything else, you know. A little tweak here, a little tweak there, and it, there's huge ripple effects across the whole market. Absolutely, and you know when we talk about the developing countries, here's the here's the bad news part of that rosy picture of continued demand. Developing countries are only going to buy it when it's cheap. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, and you know we hate to see cheap ethanol, but if we get a year like this year when ethanol is cheap, margins are terrible. Boy, it'd sure be nice if we could give them a taste of, of what clean-burning ethanol can do for them. Yeah. And I, I think we will. I'm guessing that'll be—I heard Secretary Purdue make some comments. It sounds as though ethanol is going to be in the discussions of this trade talk, uh, the big deal that we're going to wrap up with China. So let's get our foot in the door and show them the kind of product we can deliver because it's a good one. Yep, yep. Yep, there's just so much stuff going on right now that whether— it, I, as long as I've been in this business, I've never been around it where it's been this many factors playing into the marketplace, whether it's, you know, developing weather markets or trade deals or, um, you know, just outliers that are just out there kind of bouncing around. There's just a lot of crazy things going on right now that, that are uh, probably just, uh, it's a different road than we've been on, I guess, for the past three or four years. It is. I remember last year we were doing it on the podcast and – you know, this time it was it was mid April, end of February or March, mid April. We were struggling to find stuff to talk about because it mm-hmm. was just weather. It was all we were concerned about last year. There's maybe some talk of tariffs, but it was weather. Now you hit the nail. I mean, holy cow, we could spend five hours talking about the issues that are affecting agriculture yeah. right now and still have still have stuff left to cover. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just I mean, it's good for, for guys like us that do the things that we do. There's always yeah. something to talk about, so it's easy to easy to get things going. But but yeah, for the most part Hell it's of job been, security. <laughs> but, that's yeah, right. That's exactly right. Selling into this market is a hassle yeah. and it's a challenge. And right now you can make really good cases for all commodities, bull and bear. And yeah. gosh, that means it's a, it's a good time to use re-ownership strategies, in my mind, if you're making some sales, because maybe less so on the corn side, more so on the bean side, uh, just because we do know that demand is out there. I don't know. Then you think African swine fever. Then I talk myself right back out of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Casey. I don't envy any grower having to make marketing decisions right now. Yeah, no, it's, that's why you've got guys like you know Chip Nellinger out there that are they're going to help you make those plans and at least hold you accountable to what your whatever plan you come up with and keep you keep you from being exactly. like it's going to go up five more cents. Let's just wait a second, you know, and and, and then it goes down fifteen. Right. So that's that's that thing yeah. there. Definitely that's part. That's of the it. market. Yep, yep. So all right, man. Well, we've been <clears throat> getting after here for a little bit, uh, Mike. If what's the name of that podcast you're on? You and Delaney do something called what's it called? We do. We do a little podcast called Ag News Daily. Folks, head to the website at agnewsdaily.com. It'll take you right to the website. You can find us at Global Ag Network. You can find Moving Iron. You can find Girls Talk Ag, some fantastic programming there, all Mm -hmm. focused on agriculture. And uh, make it your one-stop shop for ag-focused podcasts. We got them all. Yep. And they just had a new... uh a new feature pop on there that you can set up an account and you can you can dial it in to exactly what you want to see so all your content pops up right there and you don't have to go look for it so it's it's good stuff absolutely and, case it can just be right there in your inbox every day yep good stuff good stuff so well mike if folks want to 
reach out to you and pick your brain or ask you a question about something going on, what's the best way for them to do that? The absolute best way to find me on Twitter. I'm at Pearson Cattle on Twitter, P-E-A-R-S-O-N, mm-hmm. Cattle, just like it sounds. Uh, look me up. I'm, I'm on Twitter all day, every day. Want to yep. take your questions. Want to BS with you a little bit. Right on. And if you're ever in a, in a conference situation, you're looking for a great speaker, have Mike come do the presentation for you. He, he's spoken at the uh, Moving Iron Summit uh, once, and it was one of the one of the highlights of the of the year. So uh, if you're looking for a good speaker, make sure you fun yeah. Thanks, man. Make sure you look up Mike, and he can he can get you handled. Absolutely. Right. We'll fill an hour. You bet. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network, and Mike Pearson. Thanks, buddy, and we'll uh, talk to you again down the road, man. Sounds good. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Find us here Move